I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's development of unmanned systems and focusing specifically on unmanned aerial vehicles, or UAVs. Amid its ongoing economic development and military modernization, China has emerged as a global leader in the development of unmanned platforms. China has already established itself as one of the top exporters of unmanned systems to militaries across the world. In the commercial space, Chinese firms like DJI are at the forefront of the industry. As China looks to shore up its domestic security concerns, it may also come to lean on its indigenous drone technology. To discuss the development and use of UAVs and other unmanned technology in China, I'm joined today by Mr. Tate Nurkin. Tate is the founder of OTH Intelligence Group and a non-resident senior fellow with the Brent Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security at the Atlantic Council. His research and analysis focuses on China's military modernization and technology development, U.S.-China competition, and the global defense industry. Tate, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, to start off, can you give us an overview of the different types of unmanned technologies that China has prioritized developing? Sure. Well, it's um, it's a lot. <laughs> so, uh, uh, China has uh, demonstrated a really impressive volume and velocity of development of unmanned systems over the last, really, almost last decade, but particularly in the last four or five years. But I think. Uh, picking from the broad range of, of technology priorities, I think there are four that kind of stand out to me. The first is automation. And, um, you know, none of these priorities, by the way, are particularly different than the ones that the United States might have or other countries. I think China might be pursuing them with much more vigor. But, but nonetheless, autonomy and sort of the intersection of unmanned systems and artificial intelligence, I think, would be at the top of the list, both in terms of the urgency that China is pushing this technology area, but also its importance uh, to kind of push China's military modernization um, along a pathway towards cognitive warfare and maybe beat the United States uh, in that regard. So we've seen uh, some pretty impressive examples of successes here. Um, there's a often referenced June 2017 test that CETC, the state-owned enterprise and electronics, conducted with 119 uh, network drone swarms, which at the time was the largest military test. But uh, the development didn't stop there. It continued, and if um, in May of 2018, um, a private uh, Chinese company demonstrated 56 uh, networked unmanned surface vehicles, so not just unmanned aerial vehicles. And then at uh, the Zhuhai Air Show in November of this last year, again, many concepts, including one from Norenko on drone swarm. So a lot of activity in that particular space, and there's likely to be going forward. I would also add to that list um, endurance. And, and here China's doing some interesting things in new materials and new energies, new energy capture and storage technologies. Um, in October of 2018, uh, China successfully tested a solar electric high-altitude long-endurance UAV, which was a pretty impressive uh, milestone to cross. And the third one, I think, is probably multi-mission unmanned systems. Again, a priority that most militaries have uh, to be able to get unmanned systems to do many things, whether it's through module, modular sort of setups where you can plug and play different payloads, or uh, more fundamentally and interesting to this conversation, um, platforms that, that can conduct intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, but also conduct strike missions. And we've seen some interesting developments there with 
um, even a stealthy form of that that platform, the CH7, which has been demonstrated, model has been demonstrated, but the CH5 and the Wing Lung are both platforms that can carry out those missions. The last thing I'd say is that it's not just about their unmanned aerial vehicles. China's investment in unmanned surface vehicles and unmanned underwater vehicles has been pretty impressive as well. And you can see why, given the priority that China's placed on redressing the strategic imbalance in the undersea domain with the United States. And just in general, President Xi has frequently spoke of the need uh, to explore the deep sea space. And we've seen some interesting developments and kind of things that we think will come online in the 2020s, like a giant autonomous submarine (laughs) that uh, is kind of a revolutionary sort of capability. So that's, those are the big priorities that I see currently. So if you look at the military space in particular, how does Chinese capabilities and unmanned systems stack up against the other leaders like the United States and Israel? You know, I, th- I think if we're talking about the platforms and systems that we see in service today, probably fair to say the United States has an advantage. Um, and that advantage is a technical advantage. If you look at the specs of these different systems, in most cases, U.S. systems tend to have more range, more endurance, more payload. Not always, but in most cases. But I think also the U.S. has benefited, uh, regrettably, from having spent the last two decades almost at war. And wars where these systems have been extremely important to the conduct of these conflicts. So our manufacturers and our operators have learned a lot about these systems and been able to refine them and refine the operational concepts. That said, and there's a big caveat here because I get a little uncomfortable uh, or just uneasy really talking about these side-by-side comparisons of sort of technical capabilities and specifications because I don't think it tells the whole story here. I think that, um, and there are two reasons why. The, The first is that we don't have to have a particularly long-run view of history, and certainly of U.S. military history, to see that technical and technological overmatch doesn't necessarily lead to a sustainable military advantage. If you were to make a list of the most disruptive capabilities of the last 20 years, you wouldn't have to go very far before you wrote down cyber weapons or even the improvised explosive device, which was not a particularly high-tech weapon. And I think how some of these advanced weapons that China has in the unmanned space, how they are used, their operational concepts could be very clever and could undermine what is a closing of the gap in the overall technical capability. And that's the second part of the unease is that if you were to ask this question five years ago, the advantage would have been much larger than it is today. China has come a long way to closing the gap on the U.S. in these sort of advanced technology areas, and that's certainly the case with unmanned systems. So when you look at that process of closing the gap, is it because of China's own hard work indigenously? Or to what extent is China stealing uh, these systems, blueprints uh, from uh, the United States and others? We've obviously seen this in other areas, the F-22 probably being the best example. Uh, so is, is China doing this itself, or is it just buying it or stealing it from others? Uh, it's a little bit of yes to all of the above. But certainly, certainly we know that China has benefited from technology acquisition and theft from on the unmanned systems. If you just look at some of the systems that China flies, now the CH-5, they're the most updated version of the rainbow, um, it looks an awful lot like a Reaper. And uh, the same with the CH-7, which is the stealthy drone that was demonstrated last November, looks a lot like Northrop Grumman's concept demonstrator, the X-47B. I mean, these are 
you know, these are these are external sort of, they've picked up what they look like and how to design them, whether they've been able to replicate the subsystems is a different story. But we've seen that in the unmanned aerial vehicles. We certainly have also seen it unmanned surface vehicles, the Seafly unmanned surface vehicle, which was actually the vehicle that was used in that 56, uh, that swarm of 56 drones. Um, you know, that that is a almost carbon copy of a program called Stiletto that was dropped by the Navy a while back. So, yeah, the, we've these are through theft, through, uh, through sort of quasi-licit sort of commercial arrangements, but the technologies are not necessarily China's. Now, I will say that we've seen more innovation coming from China indigenously, uh, but I think it's still at a transition period where they still require some of the foreign technology to help inform the development of their own domestic innovation. To what extent has the desire to export these systems been in the lead, and to what extent has it really been driven by the the PLA's desire to use these systems? And then maybe a second part of that question is, do we know enough to know whether the Chinese have developed doctrine to and operational concepts and strategy to employ these um, unmanned systems? Right. And I, I think, you know, as with the last question, I think there's elements of both here. Clearly, uh, China is leveraging its uh, rapid development in drone technology and capabilities to, uh, you know, for soft power purposes to export. And, the, and where China exports these weapons, it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody or these systems. Uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, areas where it has strategic leverage against India, against the United States, uh, critical sea lanes in Southeast Asia, and of course, energy security. From from the Middle East, so so yeah, that that is a big priority, and China is probably the th- is the third largest exporter, but with a lot of forward momentum in that area, and and clearly takes advantage of the fact that the United States isn't going to sell armed drones to very many of those actors that China wants to engage with. So so there's a, a hole in the market, and China is, is filling it and filling it well, and doing it in a way that it also transfers technology, as is with the case with the deal with Saudi Arabia, where they set up a, a co-development plant. CH4 is going to be made in Saudi Arabia, which uh, is an interesting sort of development. So that is a big part of this, but it's not the only part. And we do see China um, integrating unmanned systems into their operations, and they've long used unmanned systems uh, uh, for the last several years. But I think the question you asked is a, is a great one. Are the adjacent innovations taking place? Is China developing doctrine? Well, I think so, but they definitely are developing organizational structures. So the PLA Air Force has a drone a drone brigade, which actually, you know, big news in 2017 was that it conducted its first night test with unmanned systems. I mean, these are the types of steps that I think we all look for to see that the capability, it's going from an invention and a technology to the deployment of an actual capability. What about in uh, the use of uh, UAVs domestically in China? Are we seeing them being used for surveillance and law enforcement purposes? And, and I'm particularly interested in whether we see them being used in places like uh, Tibet and Xinjiang that have posed uh, domestic uh, law enforcement problems for the Chinese. And Xinjiang, of course, where we have uh, massive uh, concentration camps uh, that that have been built. And there's so many technologies the Chinese have developed for the yeah. use of surveillance. Right. My uh, guess is that this is one of them. Uh, yeah, it is. It definitely is. Um, well, there's reporting that it is. And um, of course, that's not a surprise if you assume that the main objective of the Chinese government is to maintain social and political control of the state. These are effective weapons. But we have seen um, 
reporting about drones being used in, in both places. And interestingly, actually, not just um, not just traditional, you know, uh, drones, but also some interesting kind of inventive ways of conducting low observable surveillance. So interesting reporting from June of 2018 that China was deploying bird-like drones. They look like doves, so they're camouflaged, and it's hard to know that someone is surveilling you. And, of course, they gain efficiencies from the way that doves fly, which is more efficient than, than the machine would do. So, um, And they're not the only country to do kind of biomimicry, but, but they are incorporating it. And it's a really interesting, um, really, I think, interesting development and reflective of some interesting uh, and innovative ways of thinking about uh, using drones for domestic surveillance. I suspect this is a growth area, to be honest. And as soon as they figure out how to scale use of facial recognition software on drones, it'll become even even more so. The, the, only, the last comment I'll make on that is it's not just about the drones themselves because they do, drones proliferate. I mean, they will be able, maybe not if you're in a prison camp, you probably can't procure a commercial drone, but throughout the country, uh, other actors will have access to drones. And so what we've seen is China actually developing counter drone technology as well to meet potential challenges that could come from private citizens or groups that intend to disrupt the social stability. Um, and having just been in Abu Dhabi about a month ago for the IDEX show, big global arms show in the Middle East, um, China had a huge presence there and for the second show running was showing off its silent hunter uh, directed energy system, which has a counter drone mission as well. So some investment there as well, a little left of the core topic, but certainly of interest to the discussion about drones in China. So let's talk a little bit more about the commercial uh, drone market, which uh, apparently global sales are expected to surpass $12 billion in uh, 2021. So how are Chinese firms um, like DJI and Yunet? (laughs) It doesn't sound like a Chinese word to (laughs) me. How are they positioned within this market? Uh, Very well. Yeah, I mean, DJI is is particularly so. It it controls about 70 to 75 percent of the total uh, commercial drone market, which is a pretty commanding position. And I think if you were to look at the companies that are active players that have the remaining 25% of the market, I would say I think all but one, a company called Parrot, which is I think a French company, uh, are Chinese companies. So this is a really dominant market position uh, uh, for DJI in particular. Um, interestingly, though, uh, DJI is sort of now experiencing, at least over the last 12 to 18 months, a little bit of um, the fallout of its own success, if that makes any any sense. They have come very far, very fast to dominate this market, and now there's pushback. Pushback from other competitors. There's another Chinese company that has actually uh, opened up a patent suit against DJI in the U.S., uh, which would restrict its ability to sell uh, its drones here. Um, there has also been a uh, kind of a, an embezzlement scandal where the or a, a price gouging scandal uh, that came about. They had to fire 29 employees because there was $150 million worth of sort of overcharges that were going on. And also they've, you know, some code was left out on GitHub and other people found it. So they are beginning to see some of the challenges of that rapid and impressive growth, which, you know, in the short term, I don't think it's going to affect their position, but it does hint at some some potential challenges. Xi Jinping has been pushing this concept of civil-military fusion. So I assume that in the uh, in the area of unmanned um, uh, equipment and vehicles, uh, we similarly see that military and civilian 
are very much integrated. Is, is that correct? And uh, do we see uh, commercial civilian com companies developing capabilities for the military? We do, which is a little bit um, out of character for, for China's defense industrial base, which forever and still really is, um, centers around nine or ten state-owned enterprises, all of whom also have commercial or civil, or civil um, functions as well. But about five years ago, China realized that, uh, the state council realized that that particular structure wasn't very efficient and that there were some areas, uh, particularly in systems integration and some technical areas, where that, that wasn't working. Uh, there were too many redundancies, too many efficiencies, not enough competition to drive innovation. So they, they came up with some pretty sweeping reforms, which I think are all legit, by the way. It's not just window dressing. I think they really, uh, China really is trying to reform its, its defense industry. But it, it takes some time to, to get bureaucracies to move. But the one area where I think we have seen success is one of the policy reforms was to get the private sector more involved in the defense industry. And in the unmanned systems place, that has happened. Um, we, we the, the the systems that are um, like for example the the sea the sea flies being developed by a private company, right? We see more private companies actually playing in this space and selling directly to the military, or they've developed a dual use capability that the military thinks could be relevant. At at Zuhai again, there were over three hundred and fifty private companies displaying at the Zuhai air show displaying unmanned systems, which I think is a is an indicator of how rapidly the industry has decided to fill what they see as a high growth demand area. Indeed, that was confirmed at the air show in which a representative of the of uh, MIIT said, hey, look, we already have about a $3.5 billion unmanned, uh, air, uh, unmanned systems industry. We expect it by 2025 to be you know, several times that large. So there's a big demand there, and the private sector is moving in to help fill it. Until recently, um, apparently the U.S. military employed small consumer drones that were actually produced in China. And uh, uh, it was reported that due to security concerns, those, uh, those drones were grounded and are no longer being used. Uh, do you have any details you could provide about what the concerns were? and whether or not this poses a risk to other militaries around the world. Again, it goes back to DJI. And they, they in August of 2017, the Army, a little bit out of the blue, released a statement that said, stop buying these things. Because the Army, these tactical, small, tactical, lightweight drones fre frequently are bought commercial off the shelf. And since DJI dominates the industry, they're the ones that are probably going to be bought. Um, the concern was sort of a microcosm of the concerns that the U.S. government and others have today about Huawei, right? So it's, uh, the concern is that DJI would be enlisted by the Chinese government uh, to take the information that these drones collect uh, and to ship it back to, to Chinese servers and to the Chinese government to use. Um, and they weren't the only, by the way, the Army wasn't the only group either in the United States or elsewhere that was concerned about this. The Australian Defense Forces did something similar for a while. They suspended uh, off-the-shelf purchases of DJI equipment. The um, Department of Homeland Security and the Los Angeles Area uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Group sent out a pretty harsh <laughs> statement saying that DJI was actually using drones to collect information against the U.S. national critical infrastructure. So there was a lot of concern about this, and DJI re recognized that it needed to do something. 
So it uh, commissioned a report from a U.S. firm to sort of a forensics report that ultimately was released in April of last year that pretty much cleared DJI and said, no, this isn't really happening. There, there are ways that data can be sent back through its app to, to servers in Hong Kong, but you can opt out of that. So or either it's an opt-in or you can opt out, but it's, a, it's, a, it's the choice of the consumer whether or not to have that happen. I'm not 100% convinced that's the, the full story, and there were some concerns about the rigor of the report. But nonetheless, DJI has survived. The U.S. government doesn't really buy from them anymore. But I think earlier this year, the American Airlines and Southern Company both struck deals with DJI. The New York police has now uh, bought 14 drones from DJI, and um, the coverage there was more about civil liberties than about you know, buying drones from a company that the U.S. Army refuses to do business with. So, so I think they've, they've more, more or less weathered the storm, at least in the U.S. commercial space. I don't think the government will be buying any more drones from DJI. And yet at the end of the day, is there really any difference between uh, DJI and Huawei in the sense that the Chinese government could, yeah. we think, require any Chinese company from giving up information that they have in their possession. And this is ultimately what I believe their national security law says. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. So I think the concern was a legitimate concern. I'm glad the U.S. government has taken steps, proactive steps, to protect this sort of uh, information. So if you look at over the next, say, maybe three to five years, um, what are the kinds of developments that we should be looking for in uh, China's development of uh, unmanned uh, systems. What are what are the breakthroughs that potentially you expect? Uh, do you think that they are going to pull ahead in in certain areas? Um, if the United States is successful at preventing the stealing of technology, is yeah. that going to make a difference? Right. Yeah. I, I think the breakthroughs. You know, we can go back to the beginning of the conversation and look at the tech areas, and I think those are areas where you know, I would be watching from a technology perspective, especially around automation, uh, autonomy, uh, incorporation of of, um, of artificial intelligence. Um, those are all areas that align with all components of China's modernization efforts. So they, they can gain advantages or close gaps in capability on, on the A2AD front, anti-access area denial, which has long been the main priority of the China's modernization program. But China is now looking to project power. And so unmanned systems as a whole, but particularly some of these, like the autonomous sub we, we mentioned before, the beginning. I mean, that, that could be an, another way to project power much cheaper than the all the aircrafts that are being built. It could support power projection to defend China's overseas interests. And then this idea that the future of warfare is really going to be cognitive and that the United States and China are competing to sort of this commanding heights of cognitive warfare and China wants to win. I mean, there's that could be a, a race that uh, could you don't want to finish second in. So I think those that is a huge area to look at. Um, I'm also um, sort of fascinated by some of the things we talked about earlier, the adjacent innovations. And we're already starting to see China begin to, you know, or, or we mentioned the organizational changes that they've gone through. But, but I think also, you know, China's established uh, through the National University of Defense Technology a um, uh, unmanned systems research center. At the same time as they established an uh, artificial intelligence research center, which would give some idea of how they view the two as being connected, I would. There's also a regional, you know, test center for UAVs that involves uh, both the PLA Air Force and the Shanghai Regional Government and other government entities. So I think we're starting to see those types of innovations as well that are absolutely critical to integrating the new technologies into 
into a real military capability. Um, the last point I'd make is the export market. I'm fascinated by it, um, uh, and you know it'd be interesting to see uh, because the Trump administration decided in, in early 2018, hey, should we allow our companies to export armed drones <laughs> to compete as part of this broader military technological competition with China? I don't think that's really been resolved yet. But if it is, it would be interesting to see uh, if countries want to buy American technology, want to spend the extra money uh, to get technology when they could continue to deepen their relationships with China, who will give them the technology and the, and the capability for half as much. So those are all kind of areas on a pretty busy, there's a lot to watch, but those are three areas that I would prioritize. Um, so, but yeah, and, and to the final question on, are we going to lose our lead? I mean, it's up to us, frankly. Uh, we, the United States has long, has a 10-year advantage at least in some of these technologies areas, but we've given up a lot of that, right? So we've let China close the gap. And uh, as a analogy that I've started using, um, largely for my own uh, therapy as an Atlanta Falcons fan, it's the third quarter of Super Bowl 51, and you're winning 28 to three. Well, it's not the third quarter of uh, of the game; it's in the fourth, and it's a much tighter game. And now you have to start to think about the competition much, much differently. And I'm I'm not sure we've made that transition fully yet. Good way to think about it. We've been talking to Tate Nurkin who is founder of OTH Intelligence Group and a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlanta Council. He's an expert on China's defense industry and particularly unmanned systems. Thanks so much for talking to us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.